0: I'd like to welcome our listeners to another edition of the CMC podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about GRIMP. And for those of you who are not familiar with GRIMP, uh, GRIMP is actually an acronym that is in French. And to avoid an international incident, I will avoid even attempting to pronounce the words in there. But it does translate to uh, a dangerous environment search and intervention team. So GRIMP was actually started uh, back in 2006 in Namur, Belgium, by their regional fire department. And they've been doing it uh, there ever since. And it has expanded to uh, multiple locations in China, Uh, Taiwan. uh, Japan actually had their first one in 2019. And there's even talk of one in Peru now. Uh, We did one in North America in uh, 2019. And what Grimp is, is a friendly international competition. And the idea is to promote uh, the advancement of technical rescue. Uh, And it really does provide a really good venue to exchange ideas between teams from all kinds of different cultures and different backgrounds. And with us, we have John McKentley. John, if you want to say hi. Oh,
1: yeah. (laughs) Hi to everybody. I won't say good morning because we don't know what time you're listening.
0: Okay, And uh, Wayne Chapman. Hi, everybody. Leroy Harbach.
2: Hey, how you doing?
0: And we have a, a, a special guest with us today. We have firefighter uh, paramedic Frank Munoz from the Northwest Fire District, who is a participant in Group North America. Frank, if you'd like to say aye.
3: Uh, hey, guys. There you go.
0: Excellent. So kind of further, ado, we'd start with a little bit of uh, how Group North America came about. Uh, there was an email that went out to the, uh, the instructors back uh, in uh, March of 2018, uh, looking for some ideas on some type of a hands-on, uh, training or, uh, competition or something. Uh, and the, uh, uh the people in the front office at CMC kind of wanted to, to get the instructor's input. So several instructors, uh, emailed back and, uh, lo and behold, a meeting was set up, uh, at the, uh, the end of March of 2018, where we came out to discuss some of the different ideas. And then, uh, uh, in, in addition to uh, uh, multiple CMC instructors that were there, and uh, some uh, some of the other people at CMC, uh, uh, Sav from uh, the Namur Belgium uh, team, and actually who runs the logistics and runs the uh, uh, Grimp North or excuse me Grimp Belgium, uh, came over, and then uh, Mark and Don from Ronan came down too to kind of help us out and uh, kind of discuss some of the different ideas. So John was one of the uh, people in attendance at that meeting, and John was the school director at the time. So maybe John, you can you can add a little more to that.
1: Well, yeah. To tell you the truth, I, I came in there. Uh, uh, I, I knew about GRIMP. I had heard about it, and um, a lot of people, um, you know, there was a lot more enthusiasm by a lot of people than uh, than I had. I, I was a skeptic. I admit it. Um, I will admit that I I have been turned around on that and i don't know if it was because i saw a whole lot of work or because i have a natural uh i i am not a particularly one that's big on competitions i participated in in a lot of other rep uh competition type things for rescue on uh in the industrial world and uh well i think they certainly have some value for the teams for training um I might have just been in the fact that this sounds like a lot of work that I didn't need to do, or something like that. I don't know, but I I, I expressed that, and um, maybe it was just my age or something like that. But um, <laughs> not everybody was was totally behind the thing, and certainly I was one of the skeptics, and 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 I'll admit it. And again, I, I I've turned around on that because it went so well, but. Uh, we discussed on what was going to be involved and then it was the kind of sites and everything like that. And having not seen the, the uh, European event, I uh, felt a little bit of a disadvantage and that was really brought out, um, by both, um uh, by, by, my, by, Mark and Don because Mark and Don, um, with Ronan had participated several times and, uh, you know, had a more of a firsthand knowledge of this particular event than I had. So, uh, it's kind of, kind of a little bit of a background. We had a lot of discussion over it. And, um, you know, Wayne and Doug and the other guys that were in that, that meeting can probably talk more about it. But, you know, it was a matter of what's involved and how we're going to do it. Of course, we didn't have a site. Uh, we didn't really have a plan. We didn't know how it would adapt to here. And quite honestly, we weren't sure how it would be accepted. So, uh, we said, okay, we'll take a chance and do it. And there we are.
0: I think it was really uh, helpful having Sav in the meeting since he had, you know, run the logistics for the the Belgium event. And, yeah, he definitely was able to help us, I think, uh, avoid some pitfalls and, uh, you know, learn from their experience. So I, I think that was very beneficial to all of us. But yeah you, I think you definitely had that look on your face like, what are you getting us into? What are you guys getting us into here?
1: Well, I, I did, and I've been involved in other things like that, and I, I know it's involved. And, again, um, the first time's the hardest. And you learn each time, and then when uh, when we had people go to Belgium and actually look at it and stand with them and really see these things, we could we could get it from an organizer's point of view. Again, from Mark and Dawn, we got an idea of what was involved from a participant's point of view, and yet we knew that it wouldn't be exactly the same thing. One of the things that we wanted to do, and this came out more with the CMC instructors when we found a site and were looking at the actual scenarios is we thought that it should be more of a wider range of rescue and not just be limited to pure like high angle rope or rope access or however you want to phrase some of those skills. You know, we introduced the confined space aspect to it that hadn't been done before.
0: Right. And I think that's really where, because I know Wayne, you wanted to be at that first meeting, but you were unable to, but then yeah, you definitely got thrown in the deep end of the pool right after that. Yeah, I did. Um,
1: That's what it gets when you don't go to the meeting. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was voluntold.
4: No, you know, um, I, I was very fortunate in my fire service career. I would had the opportunity to put on a bunch of large-scale multi-agency, multi-county drills. So it, it certainly helped. I was fairly confident when we started that we would pull this off. Um, obviously, uh, I went to uh, Nemours with Beth. Henry of CMC at the time, and we got to see how the whole thing was run. Um, obviously the one in in Namora is way different in the sense that it runs over the entire city. So there's literally commuting between scenarios, whereas ours was in a very fixed, small venue. Um, but it gave us an opportunity. Uh, Mark Pfeiffer was uh, awesome to us, kind of was our guide, showed us around, met us, you know, introduced us to people. So we we sat through the initial captains meetings over there, watched the scenarios run, watched the grading process, kind of everything that gave us uh, a foothold of what we needed to do uh, to make ours a success.
0: Excellent. And then, uh, now if I recall, Leroy then uh, was was one of your uh, was one of the main guys that helped you out with the kind of the setting up of the logistics and and the scenarios and all that, right? Yeah. So.
4: Yeah. Obviously, we had to go. We had to find a venue. So, so lots of emails were sent out and uh, lots of ideas were, were were put out there and then became the problem of, well, that's not realistic or th- that place can't, you know, uh, give us enough variables. So we ended up at the, uh, the battleship Iowa, the former USS I- uh, Iowa in San Pedro, California. Uh, so a group of us went down there, uh, Leroy and John and myself were kind of the, the key people early on to say, hey, so here's this thing. And we had to come up with a number of scenarios, ideally side by side. Um, so we could then determine how many teams we could realistically invite to this event. So we spent a lot of time just looking at different scenarios. Uh, and like like John said earlier, we want to be uh, you know, add some confined space and some other things that uh, that we didn't see. For example, over in Europe. Um, so again, once we found out everything, we decided, hey, you know what, we can we can do this, uh, and let's go for ten teams. So once we had the number of teams, we had our scenarios set up. So it was basically five scenarios are side by side, so the teams compete in a side by side format, which is a little bit different than the more Whereas uh, when I was there, they had like I can't I think it was six teams side by side as they rotated together, but we just didn't have that size of a venue, so ours was more uh, downsized, but it ended up working out real well for us.
0: Yeah, excellent. So, Leroy, what was your first impression when you started looking at the at the site, and we started ta- and you guys started talking about scenarios?
2: Well, actually, to be honest with you, John was skeptical. I was adamantly opposed because I'm an inherently lazy person. And all I saw was the amount of work it was going to take uh, background stuff that nobody really appreciates um, that goes on in order to make things happen um, once Wayne and Wayne convinced me that it was really a good idea in air quotes, <laughs> um, we uh, we sat down and and really started taking a hard look at. What options did we have? Um, logistics on something like this are pretty overwhelming. Uh, things that people don't think about, um, you know, and and Wayne talked about it before uh, with with multi-agency type of things. People got to eat. People have to use the restrooms. All of those things that get overlooked, you know, simple things like bottles of water and, you know, um, A place to even hold the meetings where um the uss iowa was very accommodating um pretty much gave us the run of the ship to do whatever and wherever we wanted to go um because the because the museum essentially stayed open during the competition which um they they provided people um that would essentially people that were touring the ship they'd say okay hang on a minute there's going to be some people uh, landing here, coming in from over your head. Uh, we're just going to stop here for a minute while we, while people are <laughs> kind of sailing in out of the sky or coming up out of bowels of the ship somewhere. So um, logistically, there's a lot of things that have to be considered. Uh, the, Like I said, it's the background stuff that people don't appreciate, the amount of work that has to get accomplished before you can even think about getting it done. If I could add on to that, um,
1: have you know we've we've all been involved in some of these things either like Wayne says a multi agency drilling situation, or maybe another contest. What the the international aspect of this is what made it um, it multiplies everything because now you've got language issues. Um, it's, it it creates difficulties for communication on the language side, but cultural side. And um, one of the things with the site was we needed something that was fairly nearby to an international airport. We needed things that were going to be other attractions nearby, which Southern California um, certainly didn't have a shortage of. um, You know, when we picked a site, I mean, we could have probably found some other places, but nobody would travel halfway around the world to go there, let alone across the state, even. And so the international aspect of Grimp. Really, really magnified the problems, and we tried to be sensitive to all that uh, when we designed the problems, when we did the instructions, when we picked the site, even, and uh, that's something that's that, that made it far more difficult than just holding some sort of a similar similar event with all all local or even just U.S. teams. Yeah,
0: and I think uh, 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 a kind of an important point that that was one of the the differences between. Grimp N.A. and then some of the other uh, Grimp competitions have been out because of the confined space component. And we had international teams coming in. Uh, uh, Wayne, you guys set up a actually a kind of a little a training or a familiarization with uh, confined space work for everyone, right? Yeah.
4: So a couple of things that happened or, or on that uh, first morning was CMC had decided that we were going to provide some gear for certain scenarios um, so we thought, well, it's best, Hey, if we just do a little bit of training on this, everybody's coming in from the same place at the get go. So everybody knows the same material. Um, some of the scenarios were designed to do certain things. So all of our stations that we had pre-event were meant to say, Hey, here's how, here's, here's an option for you. And wink, wink, you might need this option later in this competition. So we kind of showed um, certain things that, that, our, that the rescue school does and uh, how to use a certain gear and all that gear ended up finding its way into scenarios. And confined space was a big one because we knew that we had teams coming from across, uh, across the pond, if you will, that, had, that don't know United States law. So we thought, hey, you know what, if we can do it just a, an hour long um, intro to the laws of this country, and why things have to be done a certain way. So when we read the scenario, there's actually a reason why you have to do these things. Well, they so, were real yeah, that,
1: spaces too. And yes, they were real spaces. They, mm-hmm. were, we they were real had- spaces. They were real hazards. And we, ha- I mean, we mitigated yeah. them as much as we could. There was no hazardous atmosphere, but they were real spaces. And we had to treat them as such during the scenario. Oh yeah.
4: Yeah. We, I mean, what people may or may not, like. Leroy talked about logistics. I mean, we had to draw permits every day, right? We had, uh, Atmospheric monitors in spaces. We had fans running. There was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that were occurring uh, that we had to do. Uh, you know, as per uh, OSHA in the states, that were done. That, that the competitors probably don't realize was being done. That stuff was all logged and all filed away as per the regulations. So it was. Uh, Those, like Leroy said, um, when you what you saw at the event took us eight months of writing scorecards and making sure that every say, like, okay, well this scenario, we're going to need three evaluators. Well, how do we get that evaluator position? Oh man, we've got to lower him down there and he's got to stay down there for a couple hours at a time. Um, you know, we need uh, fans at the station. We need this, we need that. Uh, all those things had to be thought about that the battleship Iowa had just been painted. And one of the stipulations was please don't damage the paint. So we brought tons of canvas just to ensure that we wouldn't damage any of the paint with the uh, ropes and people put their feet in certain places. So yeah, a lot of stuff that, uh, happened behind the scenes.
0: Yeah. So after, uh, yeah, after all that behind the scenes work and these, uh, pretty challenging scenarios. It came, then the, then the teams got to come in, go through the classes, the, uh, the kind of the, the, the pre-briefing, if you will, or the, 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 breakout sessions. And, uh, so that kind of leads us up to, to Frank, who was one of the, his uh, team was one of the participants. So uh, Frank, can you tell us about you know, what it was like to be a participant at at the first Grimp North America?
3: Yeah. Well, um, I tell you what, as far as logistics and planning go and even training, um, that was all a shock to us as well um i think when we signed up we didn't really expect to be picked so (laughs) when we picked when we got picked and we were part of these bigger teams um the exxon guys and um all the other teams that were out there it was showing up that day was kind of a shocker uh we felt a little out of place just because uh, we do a bunch of disciplines. We do con space, hazmat, swift water, trench, EBS. And then on top of that, all we're doing the paramedic stuff and the fire stuff. So training for this um, was tough and getting the logistics and the planning, even our gear, um, we had to figure out how we were going to train with our frontline gear and possibly have to take some of that frontline gear to the ship with us. Um, It's just something that we didn't do and we had to uh, kind of budget for it uh, on the fly. But being a participant, uh, as far as myself goes, being that team lead, I think it was one of the most realist uh, things that we could have ever done. Um, In the real world, in the fire world, as you guys probably know, we don't get a lot of on-the-spot training where we just show up and we're like, Okay, like, we're just going to do this. You have a victim down here. Go get them. You figure it out. Uh, CMC and Grimp offered that to us like no other. Um, those experiences were very real. Um, working with those real victims was pretty awesome because usually we're just packing up rescue Randy in there or, or whatever it may be. And we're just kind of disregarding that patient's comfort or wh- whatever it is. Um, and then cinching the crap out of them. Um, but here we had to be a little more cautious and, uh, actually take our time with these guys. And it was really a good, uh, good train, uh, about as close as to real life as we could get, uh, the stressors were there as well. So we had a bunch of stress on us. Uh, he had the other teams watching us and obviously we look up to those guys and we look up to CMC now because you guys taught us basically what we didn't know and we don't know what we don't know um yeah
0: so so after the competition uh you know one that was one of our main you know when we sat down in that first meeting is you know we wanted to make sure to be able to get teams together so they could learn from each other and and everything so what what did you guys learn from it? i guess what did uh you know how did it change the way you operate or or did it change the way you operate afterwards
3: um yeah absolutely changed the way we operate and we just got done with the ropes class uh ropes three uh internally and that ropes class was uh we brought a lot that we learned from grimp um and those guys those teams there um and kind of distribute it to the rest of the district and i would say one of the biggest things we learned is um the basics uh brilliance in the basics uh drives everything. Um, you know, we would talk about how we set up, Hey, we set up the tripod and, you know, we used, uh, um, set of fours to get this guy out. And then we talked to the next team. It's like, well, why did you set up the tripod and you had a set of fours in your Aztec kit? It's like, oh yeah, something so basic, but we forget about, it. um, the access of gear, um, and the pre staging of gear is something that we brought back here as well uh why do we have a clutch or a mpd sitting inside a bag when we know that's going to go on a piece of rope and an anchor Uh, why can't we just set that up in the rope bag because primarily that's where it's going to go or pre-setting that three to one that way we're just throwing it on an anchor and working that uh, mechanical advantage Uh, and those are little things that we just always overlook um i think we're just taught one way and we keep doing it that way and we never look at the bigger picture um there was one scenario that i wanted to talk about that was so simple but we made it so complex um and it was the uh the one outside let me see if you hear my nose i think it's called the bow the one where there was a uh yeah, so I don't.
0: Yeah, Liberace smiling. That was that was the problem. That yeah, he was uh, one of the. Uh, <laughs> That's where we uh, had yeah. the
1: high line where you took your victim. Yeah, over to the yeah
0: dock. correct. Yeah,
1: yeah. We we never made it that far, but
3: that was the objective. Um. So when we set that,
1: a lot of people. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so when we set that tripod up, um, our mindset was, you know, hey, we set it center over the hole and we go down, and then um, we had a change of direction. That uh, we were trying to set up for. And then on top of that, we were trying to haul um, past those two friction points. Um, and I don't know who it was, one of your guys or something, um, one of the other teams came over when it was all said and done. And they were like, why didn't you just move your tripod over a little bit and bisect both of those holes and go straight down? And it was probably the most brilliant idea, but just so overlooked by us. And it just made total sense to us. It's like, oh, man. And then the way we were taught to haul, and I believe it was one of the Exxon teams that saw us kind of trying to muscle this stuff, uh, muscle the patient out of the hole. And um, we just couldn't do it. We were kind of in a confined space. So we weren't able to walk back like we're taught to uh, we we're out of the resultant of the tripod and uh, the trick with the little hand descenders um, and the set of fours where one person is pushing up and the other one is pull or pulling up and pushing down. Um, that's just a magnificent, mind blowing concept that we have never seen. So all those little things that we brought back here. Um, I think it truly grew our team. And we've also taken the initiative to, uh, when, we, when we left there, I believe it was uh, Mr. Yates himself uh, that asked us if anybody was uh, SPRAT. And nobody was SPRAT qualified. We've never even heard of it. Um, and we sent ourselves all through SPRAT Level 1 training shortly after, uh, maybe about two or three months after that. And that has brought back a new set of skills to the district that we haven't seen before. And it is greatly helping everybody because although we know how to use the equipment, we didn't know it could be so dynamic and diverse in the ways that we do use. it.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I remember I had the opportunity to talk to a couple of your, your teammates a few months after at a, at a completely different class, nothing even to do with technical rescue. And I, I kind of asked them the same question, what, you know, what did you change? And they said, yeah, we made sure we had a four to one pre, you know, pre-rigged yeah. within yeah. a week of being at the competition. <laughs> so I thought that was, right. that, that was pretty good. So, right. yeah. So excellent. So I guess if, uh, if given the opportunity uh, and there was another Grimp North America, would, would you guys participate or would you have eight and maybe not even the same team, eight, you know, a team, would you try to participate?
3: Well, Absolutely um i think it was uh it was a, it was a bunch of good lessons learned um i believe we were the underdogs there and uh we didn't know what we were up against uh, i think now looking back at it is we're training at a different level now um we we would probably call it a higher level um but it's a progressive level it's uh, we are progressing in the right way and um yeah i would definitely try to go back and if I didn't, if I wasn't able to go back, I would definitely be involved in the training of whatever team that we would send back.
0: Okay. So the, uh, that, that is one of the things, uh, that it looks like there is going to be a round two of grip North America here now. Uh-oh. And <laughs> so, so maybe if I can, uh, I can have Wayne talk a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, what's, uh, you know, Without giving away too much, maybe what's in the works for, uh, well, yeah, so for the next group North America?
4: A venue has been selected. Uh, dates have been selected. <clears throat> I'm not going to get that information out yet until it becomes public. But uh, we'll have a core group of people working on scenarios like we did last time. Um, some of the things that I wanted to talk about, uh, about what Frank was talking about, was oh, sure. the, the, the listener might not know what the GRIMP team is really made up of. So the GRIMP team is seven people total, five rescuers, one person who is the patient for the entire event, and one what they call controller or evaluator. So those seven people come to us, that patient is the patient at this scenario for the entire time. They have to weigh a certain amount There's a lot of stipulations put on them. So you're not, you're not, uh, cheating per se. And then the evaluator had to come to an evaluators meeting to say, here's what we're looking for, right? So the scorecards really kind of drove our um, scenario, we had every scenario had a, uh, here, here's the problem, right? And here's your objective, your end state, if you will, we read that thing. And then all the evaluators had scorecards. And there were certain things that we were looking for, to make sure the teams did some of it was time based. And other was just performance based. Did they do this? Did they do not on a scale of one to five? Um, and at the end of the day, those numbers were added up and that gave the team that aggregate score for that scenario. If a team did not finish the event, they were given a zero, even though they maybe have done everything, they were given a zero because the overall objective was not completed. Um, it was. It, there was a like. Leroy, like Leroy said, there was a lot of stuff. We it, we took months just creating the evaluation sheets to make sure that uh, you know every because every scenario had to have a different evaluation sheet, but the scoring had to be similar. And um, Leroy, you want to say anything about that, or John, anything about those the score sheets and and, and how they worked?
2: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that we went through, geez, probably six or seven different iterations. Of each one, depending on what the scenario was, Uh, because the focal point were or the focal points, I should say, were different between each of the scenarios, depending on where you were on the ship, Um, and then making sure that they were objective rather than subjective was, I think, probably the hardest part. That's yeah, that was the biggest deal coming up with with a score sheet. That you could take a look at and say yes, they did this or no, they didn't do this without putting your opinion in. Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Therefore, you know, I'm going to score up or down or you know that kind of thing. They were. It it took us a while to kind of dial those in.
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely. What about you, John? Any comments on the on the scoring? Well,
1: I was going to say, yeah, we 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 tried so hard to make sure that it. It, it was totally objective on the thing.
4: There was another point I was going to make here about, uh, about the, the event. So some of the other things we had to do, obviously, was make sure there was a proper flow, right? So we couldn't have guys going from the front of the ship to the rear of the ship to the top to the bottom. So we had to come up with a way that, you know, everybody moved in a logical fashion. And the battleship Iowa people were absolutely phenomenal. I mean, there were parts of that ship that after two days of being there, we still couldn't find without their help. And, uh, Mike, who was the, uh, the CEO, if you will, of, of, uh, the ship was, all his people helped us out. It was incredible. We'd say, okay, this group here needs to go to this scenario. And his guys would take off, put these people in position, uh, without them, we couldn't have pulled this off. They did an absolutely uh, awesome job of helping us out. And, uh, I, I think all the... The guys on on my side of the aisle that were setting this thing up would agree that without Mike's help, we couldn't have pulled this off.
1: Hey, sorry, I I, yeah. I was off for a second there, but one of the other things, and it kind of relates to scoring, and maybe you're getting to it, is we wanted all these program, all the each scenario to be practical and realistic. Right. But as well as that, we wanted the teams to be able to complete it. So when everything got all done. We turned around with the instructor staff and a lot of them weren't there. I mean, guys from out of state and stuff that weren't as local. We brought in the instructor staff and we ran all the scenarios to make sure that they could be completed in the time we allowed because we didn't, you know, not everybody, as Frank has already said, not everybody completed all the scenarios, but um, it was possible.
4: And we uh, knew they were doable in the 90 minutes that we allotted. Yes. And that's a key part for the. For everybody to understand is, yes, we actually went there and did all the scenarios under time to make sure that, hey, this is in fact doable in the time allowed.
2: Well, then there were a bunch of guys that had never worked together before. Right. Yeah. Was the other thing, you know, so.
4: Yeah. And, and that was that was a challenge even for the scoring, right? You may have three people at an event as the, as the evaluators who have never met each other before with varying backgrounds but had to come to a consensus on the score sheet saying, yep, they did that, or no, they did not do that. Um, and, and again, I think John kind of hit on It's like, okay, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, Okay, but that's not what the scorecard's about. Did they do it? Was it safe? And did they do it as per the uh, you know, scenario that we read to them? One thing that we didn't do that Europe did is we told these guys, get the person out of wherever they're at there is no medical treatment. We didn't score medical treatment. Um, we just didn't feel there was enough time in our event, but, uh, the event, the event overseas, they literally get down there. They have a doctor come in and do the whole thing. We just didn't have time for that. Well, so we again, made it more of a scenario based thing with, with, without the, it, uh, it, it wasn't just
1: a matter of time though, because you have people coming from all corners of the world. They're working under different medical th- plans they're working under different rules. And it was hard enough with confined space because we were pulling out, I'm, I'm going to say a North American standard because, um, the Canadian ones essentially the same difference. So it wasn't due to them, but for the, for the Asian, uh, competitors, that was a big deal. Maybe I'm not as familiar with European confined space standards, but I know for Asia, um, there, there was a lot of stuff that that was quite different and, um, in medical, it would only have been magnified because they have different levels of skill on the teams. You know, like in the U S you said, okay, well, these people are paramedics, but what's the equivalent to that in Europe and the way their systems work is a lot different. And so it, it, to help keep it fair and on equal grounds, which we bent over backwards to try and make it as fair. And even as we could for everybody, uh, the medical is a, is another aspect, you know, whereas many, many times, um, in Europe, you know, there's a doctor on the team, whereas that's not usually the case for um, public safety rescues in this case. You know, it's a paramedic level skill or something. And right. it's, it's, it would have been a lot tougher to do all that. And then on that, you've got the equipment issues where even more stuff that they have to bring in that may have legal ramifications and stuff, too.
0: Well, and John, I think it was interesting, too, that you, you know, not, and not only the medical, but from the, the equipment and the technique thing that, you know, there are so many differences. I don't know we've talked a little bit about it on other podcasts, just the the wide scope of different ways to solve these problems that we saw was amazing. Uh, you know, very, very equipment and hardware-based versus soft goods, uh, you know, the, the unique hall systems, Frank talked about, you know, what he saw, some different tricks with the hall systems. Uh, that you know, were were somewhat foreign to, especially a lot of the North American teams, but were commonplace in in the, in the foreign teams, and vice versa. I'm sure the foreign teams saw, you know, some things with confined spaces and things like that that were completely out of their normal realm. So, uh, anyone want to share any any unique things they saw there? Well, from from John and myself's
4: sake, we were we oversaw what I term the flight, or so I oversaw five teams. John oversaw our five teams, so I I really oversaw the evaluators, as did John. So that would be a question probably more for Leroy, since he was at a specific scenario for the whole two-day event.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I worked – I did the bowel problem, which was essentially get uh, two rescuers into the space, go down, make contact with the patient within a specified period of time, package that patient, get them up to the deck, take the real person out – package a dummy into the litter and then get them however you want to get them, but from the ship, from the bow of the ship to the shore um, and get all of the gear within the little blue box that they were given um, as their final objective. Out of all the teams that I saw, some performed, especially uh, U.S.-based teams, did exactly what I would have expected them to do. And some of the, uh, there were a couple that were a little bit different because I had where, where I was positioned, I had the perspective or the opportunity to be able to watch both of the, both teams competing side by side. Um, some of the European teams and the, uh, overseas teams, the Asian teams definitely solved it differently than did, um, than did the U.S. teams. Um, not necessarily completely different, but a totally different mindset as far as how they were gonna get their people in and out. Um, more focused, I would I would say a little bit more focused on speed rather than efficiency in some cases. Um, because, I mean, let's face it, in the U.S. in confined space, we always preach um, or make the sincere attempt at retrieval of our rescuers going in, <clears throat> which was very characteristic of, of many of the U.S. teams who said, okay, I'm going in here, but I'm going to stay attached to this line, for example, um, in order for me to be able to get hauled out of this space if necessary. Um It was actually kind of interesting. I think the ship to shore portion of it was probably the portion that was um, the most interesting. Like how to get the line across. Because we told them, you know, don't bring any artificial means to be able to get a line across from the ship to the shore. Because quite frankly, it wasn't necessary. Um, There were other options to get the lines across. Some people approached it one way, some people approached it the other. Um, And it was just kind of interesting watching the problem solving that was taking place in the discussions amongst the team members. How do I get this messenger line from here to there and get it across so that we can pull whether they built it as a high line, um, which most teams eventually wound up doing some variation of high lines to get them from one side, get their victim from one side to the other. It's just kind of interesting watching them problem solve it out. Some people just grabbed the end of the cord and winged the whole bag. Others made monkey fists. It was it it, it was an interesting uh, interesting dilemma that wasn't all that far. What would you say, Wayne? It was probably...
4: Well, yeah, um, I guess to be fair, it right, depended on the breeze. Well, depending, <laughs> right? so so depending the, on... So the very the t- first scenario on day one, uh, what started with three in the afternoon, stuff like that yeah. There's a really stiff onshore breeze. And those bow lines were taut. Whereas the next morning. They were completely slack and the boat was a little bit closer to the shore, but yeah, I, I, it's funny cause I had one, uh, competitor kind of complain to me. He says, Hey man, you told me didn't need to bring, you know, a lime gun. And I says, well, nobody else has needed it so far. So yeah, some people, you know. And we want to avoid having these people bring these kind of things because the dislike Leroy like said the distance was not there. If you had, it's all about having the right gear. And I think those teams probably walked away figuring out, hey, I don't have the right gear to do this, and now they probably have it.
1: Well, some of the teams didn't even go that far. They just turned around and ran it down the gangway and moved it around the post. You know, we didn't right, tell they had completely. We didn't tell yep. them they had to throw it, launch it, or nope. anything like that.
4: Yeah. Yep, no, that happened. That absolutely happened. And, a, and a if you call. remember what you guys did on that scenario, how you got your line over,
3: yeah, well, we eventually got the line over, but our <laughs> uh, we used the little pet tool bean bags, the uh, the weighted ones, okay, and we yeah, were yep. trying to throw the uh, the line over, um, and I believe uh, somebody already said it, most of it was in a monkey fist when we brought it out, it was like, oh man, this is all tangled up. But then when we finally tried to throw it over, we didn't have a problem getting the line over. We had a problem retaining that line before we tossed it. So when we tossed it, we threw the entire line over to the to the shore, if you will. Um, and all you guys were watching and it was kind of a pain. But um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that That was our plan was to throw the tagline over um, with an attached... Um, uh, 13 millimeter rope and then kind of just haul it over that way.
0: Yeah. And if if I recall overall with all the with the 10 teams, there was only one gear bag splashed at the entire event, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I think only that was, was, uh, uh, LA County. LA County. Me. And
1: actually that was when they uh yeah, that was when they were sending the gear over in the basket because the final part was as Leroy said, they had to get all their equipment back over into the little taped out square on the other side. And that's when they lost the gear into the water because they didn't clip the bags in the litter.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, thankfully the rescue had been completed. <laughs> so. And it, it kind of to, I could kind of echo some of Leroy's things. I was uh, in the wing void, which was kind of the, uh, you know, one of the scenarios from hell. And uh, yeah, I, I, basically a combination of horizontal and vertical and offset horizontal and vertical openings to get down into a void. And literally almost any type of solution you could ever imagine. And then some were being used. Some people ran through, I think I saw the most direction changes I've ever seen in my entire career done on that scenario. Uh, one rope all the way from the outside, hauling from the outside, going through multiple horizontal and vertical offset spaces. They, and they, they did it. They managed to do it. And I saw other teams do simple four to ones and, uh, you know, that was successful, so very very different ways to accomplish the same task and uh most of which were uh, were you know somewhat successful so is there any other subjects about uh two thousand nineteen well, one of the unique things right
4: was we had uh local uh l a media there right we had uh a b c seven i believe it was come by and did a uh, a live feed uh twice and had a couple of our guys. Uh, demonstrating, uh, some of the skills that we would probably see at the event. So it, it was more than a local event, if you will, uh, you know, with, with the media pushing out the way they did.
0: So Frank, you know, you, you talked about your experiences here in, uh, you know, Grim North America, 2019. So if there was a an opportunity to compete again, would you guys be interested? Oh, absolutely.
3: Absolutely. We would totally be interested in that. Um, yeah, I think that with the second chance, it would it would definitely go a little different.
0: Well, there's good news. March 24th through the 26th in 2022 will be the second edition of Grimp North America. Uh, right. As uh, I think Wayne talked about, or John talked about earlier today, the we purposely kept this small. We limited the amount of teams because it was, it was our first time, so mm-hmm. we didn't want to you know bite off more than we could chew, if you will. Right. Uh, so the plan is to have more teams. Uh, we're not sure how much. And so Wayne, do you want to talk about, uh, you know, maybe some of the, uh, what's in the works here for, uh, for Grimp 2022?
4: Yeah. So the, like I said, the venue is set. Um, I'll be working with the same people I did last time and a few others that have volunteered to step up to create, uh, scenarios that are, uh, challenging and doable within a uh, predetermined time limit and uh you know kind of press everybody to to, to think at the next level and uh you know we'll, we'll uh we'll make it fun we'll make it uh we'll make it a learning experience
0: for sure yeah and i think you talked about yeah, how helpful the the staff in iowa was and they actually uh when we went back they actually had found multiple spots after seeing the scenarios the first time oh yeah and they came back with uh with more options for us yes so uh, yeah, they were we we visited quite a few places
4: and uh they when we went back it's like wow these are parts that you would even know existed
0: yeah good people so i think that uh the the the, uh, the the second round here is is going to be exciting because there's definitely going to be some new and different scenarios to challenge teams even further, right? Uh, yeah. And then with more of an opportunity for more teams, uh, more to follow on that. So and then I, I think too, from a logistic, we were talking from a logistic standpoint. You know, it, uh, you know all that went over, but obviously when you start getting that many people from all around the world coming, uh, especially the first time in a venue. Uh, you know, there's probably some opportunities for improvement in some of the back, you know, if food, things like that. So I would anticipate that that any of those problems will be solved and then some. Correct. Yes. OK. So, John, any uh, anything else to to help wrap us up here?
1: Uh, no. Looking forward to doing it again. I hope I can participate. I hope that we have a. Uh a bunch of enthusiastic teams being able to go there It'll be nice to just be one more thing to get back to normalcy and, um, really looking forward to it. Like I said, I've changed my tune on the thing. I know it's a lot of work, but I think it was, uh, definitely, um, a good event. CMC wants to be the leader in the industry. We want to promote this sort of thing. Um, not for CMC, but for the good of the industry and for the improvement of rescuers to help save lives. And I think this is something that really goes a long ways towards
0: that. Excellent, thanks. So Frank, anything to help wrap us up here?: Well, um, since there is another one, uh,
3: we are going to try our hardest to make sure we are there. Um, we're going to continue progressing over here um, just with our training and with our skills and uh, with our hardware. Um, learn how to use it in different scenarios and uh, hopefully we can show up and uh, do a little better than we did last year or a couple <laughs> years ago.
0: Excellent. Leroy.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm in the same boat as John. Um, I thought it was overall um, it was a learning moment for me. And obviously it was a learning moment for, for the teams in general, I think, but um, cause I'm not a big competition rescue kind of a guy. Um, I was very skeptical um, when we went in, in right up until after the first day of competition. I was was still pretty skeptical leaving that first day. And um, after the first day, you kind of, you get a little bit better flavor for how things are all coming together, how things are kind of working through the process. Um, And um, I'm kind of looking forward to it, even though, like John said, we know it's going to be a bunch of work. Um, definitely looking forward to the next one.
0: Excellent.
4: Wayne. Yeah. Uh, like I said, we're also, I'm I'm looking forward to it too. Now that I've got the big things, uh, behind me and I kind of know how to do it, um, for Grimp, I think it'll be a little bit easier to create because now I'm just altering things or having to create from nothing for the first time around. So, uh, a lot of work to be done, but we'll make sure the competitors have an event that, uh, is both challenging and rewarding at the same time.
0: Excellent. So I'd like to thank everyone for uh, listening to uh, the our podcast uh, about Grimp North America, and uh, look forward to uh, you tuning in for the next one. Thank you.